you have your Bibles, grab those. Um, we're going to be in James chapter 4 this morning, um, and we'll get there in just a few, few uh, minutes, uh, but James chapter 4. Um, so, so for me, kind of the way that I'm, I'm wired, I, I love to just get in a book, uh, get in a book in the scriptures and just kind of uh, teach through, work through, go verse by verse, kind of like what we've been doing. Um, just kind of work through it that way, let it, let it work over me, let it um, rough me up, let it encourage, let it uh, just do, do a number of, of things in my heart and in my life. And so the process for me is that um, as we finish a series, we're kind of, uh, I'm always praying, seeking, okay, God, what do you want next? Where do you want us to go next? What would be good for us? Um, what, what do you have for us? Kind of what season are we in? Um, maybe there's some, some things out there that we as a church need to, to look at in your word or to address or even uh, in our culture, in our world. Is there things kind of going on that maybe uh, we can get a better understanding from the, from the word? And, and, and so that's just kind of a, a process that I have. And I'll begin to, to read, uh, read through or kind of thumb through and uh, just, just be reminded of what the theme of a book is or what's going on or, or certain places in scripture of, of what's happening and what's taking place and um, so just kind of the, the process, uh, and, and all of that bathes with prayer. I mean, just, just a ton and ton of prayer because I always want to go where God wants us to go. Like, I always want to follow him, and even as it pertains to, to preaching the word, um, I, I want to do that. And so there has been times where we have been in books, or I've been in, in studies this way, and we've been working through, and it has been horrible timing. And what I mean by that is this, is that whenever I preach, people get frustrated and mad at it. Um, and that's fine and that's good, but, but, but it's, I'm just a messenger, man. And, and I didn't know that we would be through this or our world would be in this kind of disarray or this would be, I mean, God's sovereignty is at play here. And, and I just have the privilege and honor of, of, of following and trying to navigate with him what he wants to do and what he wants to say and where he wants to take us and, um, and, and, and those type of things. And there's never any premeditated nothing. It's always earnest seeking for me. Um, and so, so I say all of that to, to say this, that I've, I've had the honor to be starting into my fifth year as the pastor of this church. And so as I pray and I begin to look through a series and try to figure out um, and, and just try to see what God wants to do, how he wants to use his word to kind of navigate and help us, um, uh, I, I, just, I just, it's crazy for me to be able to look back and see that he's got a plan and he's got something that he's doing to kind of help grow and mature us as the church and men and women of uh, God. And so um, for that, I, I want to I say this because for me, my life over the last five, six weeks has just been nuts. It has just been crazy, crazy. Uh, and I was excited to get into this book and to, to just tear it apart and us walk together through it. And, um, and I've got to a, a little bit, but, but I've also missed a good bit. I mean, COVID for two weeks and out, and thank God it wasn't horrific for me there. Um, but, but then from that, I get back for a week, and I'm back for a week, and I'm preaching, and in the middle of preaching, uh, my dad gets a phone call, and uh, mom isn't doing good. And within four or five hours of that phone call, she passes away. And so then I missed last week as we go back to West Virginia to have services there in uh, uh, West Virginia, and and get to celebrate her life and all that God has done. And, and I just remember seven weeks ago uh, when we started this series. I, I was reminded as I was praying and studying and kind of looking through this week and trying to figure, okay, God, what would you want to say? What do you want to do? What, what, what needs to take place? And just the weight of James as he makes this comment at the very beginning of his letter just, just hit me. Just, just, just worked me over this week in my study and in my prayer. 
And I just want to remind you what it says because it's found in James chapter 1. The second verse, right out of the gate, he says this. He says, count it all joy. And that's such a big deal because we live in a world that's all about happiness and it doesn't really give a rip about joy. Live for the moment, kind of be in the moment, YOLO, all that kind of, you only live once, I think that means anyways, but, but you YOLO, whatever, and you're, you're kind of in that moment, living for that moment, and, and get all you can get out of that moment, and just, just be happy and glad, and just, and, and I believe that God fights for something much deeper in us. He wants a joy, he wants an everlasting, uh, uh, unrobbing um, type of joy, deep-seated contentment in the reality of who he is and what he has done as a result of the cross. And so he says, count it all joy. He wants us to get to that place. When? My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so God wants you to settle at that place regardless of what you're going through. The man, man, I am joyful in this moment even though it's horrific and awful. And we even looked at seven weeks ago, like, what does various trials mean? Or various, um, uh, meet trials of various kinds. And it just simply means anything that, that disrupts or upsets, that throws off. And so I just read that this week, and I just thought about it. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know. Then he gives us the reason why we should land at that place. Because he says this, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's the heart of James here. He wants to help the believers in that day, in that time, get to that place where they're perfect and lacking nothing, that they're mature men and women of God. And, and he says, even when you go through those difficulties, those trials, God is working and doing it. We've got to have a, a better perspective of what's happening. So I don't look at the last, last six weeks of my life and, and, I mean, I get frustrated and I get aggravated. But I also know in the moment of that, that, that God's working and doing and he's revealing something much, much deeper in me than I that, that he has got a much, much greater plan and purpose for whatever trial that, that, that I've went through over the last four to six weeks. And I had no idea that the last four weeks would play out the way that they did. But as we're just saying, I know that God's good. I know that God's got a purpose and a plan. I know that God cares and walks with, and he's never left me through it all, any of it. He's never, he's never even taken a time out. Like, like, Scott, you're gonna have to chill, dude. Like, it's gotten crazy down there for you, and you're gonna have to give me and the Holy Spirit like 30, just this 30 minutes over here to rest. Uh, our God doesn't slumber. And I know that, and, I, and I'm aware of that, those various trials. And I know with perspective that he's working to produce steadfast and to help me mature and to, to be lacking in nothing. Again, he is good and he is faithful in everything that has happened over the last few weeks in my life, my family's life. And I believe it's for, for my good, for my family's good, for our joy and for God's glory. And that is crazy to say when you stand up here and say that you lost your mama. But I believe with everything in me. And, and it doesn't mean that I haven't gotten mad at him and shook my fist and screamed and cried and yelled and went crazy. It doesn't, I've done all that. As, as I would hope anybody would, we should. And question and ask, but I'm going to land at the place and I'm going to rest in the reality of who Christ is and, and what he's done in spite of. Knowing that this book maybe wasn't for a single person in here, but was for the preacher. Was for the man that was going to stand up here and, and unpack it week in and week out. And, and little to my knowledge, I know that God would be doing a work to prepare me for what he had seven weeks down the road. 
And I just believe with everything in me, he's got more to tell us in this book. He's got more to share with us. He's got more to do with us through this book of James as he is going to come out. James is going to come out hard right from the very get-go this morning. Right from the very get-go. So I want us to pray for a moment. I want us to prepare our hearts for what he has to say as he just goes big from the very beginning and then he's going to help us understand why we respond or understand why we do certain things because there's a deeper issue at hand and he's, going to, he's wanting to help us get to this place to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I mean, lacking nothing. That, that's what he hopes to accomplish. That's what God, through, um, uh, through James and inspiration by the Holy Spirit is hoping to accomplish in the believers of this day, the believers in our day through the book of James. So would you join me as we pray, and then we'll jump into James 4.1. Father, I just ask this morning, your mercies and grace be ever-present. God, I ask this morning as we navigate through this tough scripture, Father, that you'd give us ears to hear. Lord, I know it's so, so easy and in the gallon of stages, confessing this too, it's so, so easy to say, oh man, I wish so-and-so. I hope they're getting it. Oh man, I wish they would listen. Oh, I just, if somebody was, if this person was here, God, I know it's so easy to, to, to take the focus off of us and point it on another direction. So God, I ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would be very, very intent with us. Start with me and help us see and hear what you have to say through your word. That you're gonna use James to speak in a very bold, big way. And God, I just, my prayer is from what we've already read in James 1 is that we would be complete lacking in nothing. God, I believe the church needs to grow up. That we have been immature for far too long. And we need to grow and mature and find our joy and our hope and our everything in you. And not in us or our desires or our wants. Father, maybe for your glory and your honor, help us this morning in this place. It's your name we pray. Amen. So James chapter 4, verse 1, and this is what he does right out of the gate. He says this. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And there he goes. I mean, J James, do chill out for a minute, right? Can we just not, we don't, I mean, you don't get a break through the book of James. He just comes at it. I mean, what a question just to, to throw out, right? Last week, we looked at false wisdom, which is, 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 comes from the world versus true wisdom, which comes from uh, uh, Christ and being in him. And, and so what I love about this letter is that he's not afraid to address the elephant in the room. I mean, he's not afraid to go after it because what this tells us is this, is that James has to be aware of something. Something's happening in the early church. Something has taken place in the early church. He's getting word or he's aware of something that there's these quarrels or these fights or, or these little things that's going on. And, and he's like, so what, what's causing it? What's, what is, what is the, at, at the beginning of this, what's making this happen? And so don't we live in a day that's much like that? I mean, do we not live in a day and an age that just loves to argue and fight? I mean, the greatest watched TV shows are those that, that argue and fight constantly. I mean, I don't know if you was a product of the Jerry Springer era, but my God, did they not get ratings? I mean, there are crazy people out there other than my family. No, I'm just joking. I mean, there's, like, honestly, like, like that kind of stuff. I mean, I think, I think Maury, was Maury one or something? I mean, they're just, I mean, they're, we get list after list after list. I mean, and even if you watch like sports shows now, the highest rated ones are those that are opinionated and just going to tell you you're whatever, the, the person that they're talking to about that team. Or the, and, and they, it, it's just, I mean, that stuff, it just, it just draws us. That's the day we're living in. And we're just looking for a fight, are we not? I mean, we're just, we're just, we always just walk around so uptight. 
So, so aggravated and irritated and just, just ready to go. I mean, we're I mean, we, we just we looking for a fight. Well, my gosh, you didn't make my food fast enough. My gosh, I won't drive quick enough. I can't, that red light never stays red that long. What's it doing today? I mean, it's just any little thing can agitate us and irritate us and just throw us off. I mean, we, we never give anyone the benefit of the doubt anymore. And I'm not saying that some fights or some arguments or some things aren't legitimate and need to happen. That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm saying here. I mean, there's those things that happen that are birthed out of, of holy and righteous and good reasons. But what James is writing to these believers here and asking this question to those who are supposed to be followers of Jesus, they are quarreling and fighting for the wrong reasons. And, and he's going to expose that here in a minute. And so my question for you this morning is, what about you? What, what, what about you? I mean, I mean, how tight are you wound right now? I mean, I mean how, what, what, what would it take to just set you off, cause you to argue and fight over something that's really, at the end of the day, means nothing or it has no purpose? So, so what about you this morning? What would it take? Where are you antsy at in your soul? Again, over something that really, at the end of the day, who cares if they're driving 35 and 35? They're supposed to. My gosh, wow. That's the speed limit. Get off my tail, huh? I mean, what, what does it take? And I think it will be good for us this morning, maybe. I think this will help us, remember, for our joy, for our good, for our maturity this morning. To just think about that, even as it pertains to the church. I mean, we'll be cute and nice on a Sunday morning, and we'll gather in this place, and we'll be all put together, and we'll act all like, oh, yes, love him, woo. And then we, uh, we leave this place, and then we're ready. I mean, we'll tear a church down in a moment, will we not? We'll set that place ablaze in a second. Can you believe that they did this? Or can you believe that that happened? I mean, do, do we fight and argue over some of the dumbest stuff known to me in the church? I mean, how ridiculous. Can, I mean, can it be? I mean, and, and so as, as I read this, as I think about this, I'm like, holy cow. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I mean we will fight over the color of the carpet. And we will split this sucker in a moment, and you can take your tail and start over here, you can take your tail and start over there, and you can get that red carpet, because red's for the blood, brother. And if the carpet's not red, God forgive them. I mean, I've heard stuff like that in church. I mean, you're kidding me, right? We're worried about the dumb, jerk it all up and let's paint it concrete. Don't give me ideas. If I hear anybody say something about the carpet, it's gone tomorrow. I've got people. Um, I mean, stuff like that, or, or uh, about, about moving something, rearranging something, doing something like that, that'll get us fired up in a moment, or, or about the way um, uh, somebody dresses or doesn't dress, or they, the fact that they're even here, let's praise God for that, can we? Because you and your three-piece suit, worried about what they're wearing, are not here for the right reason, and you get your heart right. Same what the Bible would say. I mean, I just, I just, what, what, I mean, what would set us off this morning? And I have, I cannot believe the power that God has given me to be able to do that. To just set somebody off, man. Wow. I don't even have to do anything really big to make that happen. I, I just, I, or, or I mean, just even, I mean, even the different thing, I mean, vac, the vaccine or the, or politics or, I mean, just look at I me, mean, the church, I mean, we are ready to blow up and go crazy and scream and yell and fight in a moment. And, and James is like, what's the deal? 
What's causing all of this in you, these quarrels and, and these fights among, what is it? Why, why is it there? And then what James does is he's loving enough to answer it. Because Lord knows we'll never be honest with ourselves and dig deep enough to figure out what in the heck's going on in my heart and my soul. We, we love the surface level, pat my little tail and send me out, make me feel better about myself. And we don't like to go sub-level to figure out what in the heck's really going on in my heart. Why did I scream at somebody because they moved a chair? Why did I have to call 10 people and let them know how crazy that person is because they did this, they didn't shake my hand, or they didn't smile at me enough, or they, or they wore flip-flops? You can't have naked toes in church. That is a sin, and you'll go to hell for it. I mean, what, why do we, why? What is happening to us? What is happening to us? And James is loving and gracious enough, and God is loving and gracious enough to let us know what's happening in us. He says this, is it not this? So James says, this is the problem with all the quarreling and fighting. That's not holy and righteous fighting. He says, it's, it's this, it's your passions are at war within you. What James is saying is that you have passions and desires that are raging war in you. And this nonsense type of stuff is not an issue, issue of the devil made me do it. No, it's an issue of your heart. It's an issue of your heart being exposed and, and, and drawn out into the light and being revealed. And then he just keeps on going with this thought this moment. It, it's your passions. Listen to this little word, you and your. Listen to that for a second. As he continues in verse 2, he says, you desire and you don't have. There's something that you want and you don't get it. And then what do you do? You act like my, you act like my little baby, my little 15-month-old. That's what we do. But because it's so funny, we can look at kids, but oh, well, they've just matured and grow up. Well, one, probably one of the reasons why they act like that is because they've seen it modeled somewhere. We just look at our world. It's like that, is it not? And two, we've got, we've got issues with our own self and our own heart. So it says, you desire and you don't have. So there's something that you want and you don't get it. And then what do you do? You throw a fit and you act like this and you cause fights and quarrels and you, you get all crazy about stuff. And so look at how far he says you take it. So you murder, you murder, you covet and cannot obtain. You want, you want, you want, you got to have it and you can't get it and it just it sets you off. So you again there. So you fight and you quarrel. That's the response to the you and you. That's the response to your heart being, being like that, desiring and not getting. Coveting and not having. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. That's all it takes. Well, it goes a little bit deeper. He says, you ask and you do not receive. But you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So the problem is self. The reason why we quarrel and fight and we get all worked up about dumb, ridiculous stuff is because, there's, because of our heart condition. There's too much of me in it. There's too much of me in the problem. That's the problem. Let me, let me ask you this. How many issues within the church that you think are issues maybe aren't really issues that are maybe more you problems? But let me say that again. How many maybe issues or things or stuff that we see that we can uh, uh, critique really, really quickly about the church or in the church or about whatever about the church that's maybe not really problems with the church or in the church, but maybe it's just problems in the one giving critique? Because that's what James would say. You want and you don't get, so you do this. You covet and you can't have, so you do this. You even pray about it, but you pray about it in the wrong way, and so you don't get it. Because God doesn't, God, God's not like that. God's a good loving father. And a good loving father says no sometimes. Why? Because he's a good loving father. Because I know it is not healthy and it's not good for my, my five, four, and six-year-old to have a, a, a big old ice cream sundae at 9.30 at night. 
because I know what it does to him. It's not good for me to take my, my, my kids in Walmart and get them a toy every single time. I don't, I don't want to raise spoiled brats. I want to be a good loving father. So a good loving father from time to time says no because he knows what's best for us. He is aware. And so how many issues is that the problem? Maybe it's not the church or maybe it's not what's happened, but maybe it's the us. I mean, how often do you really pray about something before you just explode? How often do you really think through how often do you really seek God before getting all up in arms or, or causing an issue about whatever it is that you just don't like or you just didn't get? I mean, how often, how often do you approach it that way? How often do you go at it like that? Man, it is quiet in here this morning. I like it when the Holy Spirit shows up and hits us a little bit. I mean, how, how often is that the case? I mean, how often is there too much maybe you? And then he continues, and look at what he says in verse 4, and this is highly offensive, highly offensive. James says, you adulterous people. This is supposed to be the men and women of God. And he is, you adulterous, don't you come in adulterer. Not an idolater, but an adulterer. Don't, don't, uh -uh. Well, what does that mean? Adulterous people, you, you promise breakers, you unfaithful, uncommitted promise breakers is what he's saying. I mean, how horrible is that? I don't want to be, I don't want to be labeled that. I don't want to be labeled a promise breaker. I want my word to count for something. I want my follow through to happen. I don't want to be an uncommitted somebody. Don't, don't call me that. Promise breaker, unfaithful. No, I'm not unfaithful. I'm faithful. He, he doesn't hold back about addressing these problems, does he? He doesn't, he doesn't stop for one moment. Why? Because it's for their joy. It's for their maturation. He wants them to grow and mature and to become something and become men and women of God. And so he calls them unfaithful, uncommitted promise breakers to the call of God in their life. That's what he calls them. That's what he tells them. And he goes at them. He goes on in verse 4. He says, but do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? It's hostility with God is what he says. What he's saying is this, you uncommitted, unfaithful promise breaker to God. You're cheating on God with the world is what he's saying. I mean, think about it for a moment. If, if, if we hear of somebody having an adulterous affair, well, what runs through our mind? I cannot believe that they would. Man, we are quick to look down our nose and to jump. And hear me, adultery is never the answer. I don't care. Adultery is never the answer. I don't care the circumstances. I don't care how a crummy a spouse you've got. It is never the answer, no matter the situation, ever, period. But think about, what, what, what do we think of whenever we hear that? Oh, man, no. Oh, it just makes you sick. It crushes you. You feel the way. You just, you're, 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 you sink in that. And what James has just told the people of God is you're, you're an adulterous group of people. And you're cheating on God with somebody. And see, it doesn't seem real, real bad whenever we kind of put it in that context. But if I was to stand up here and say, I've got five women back here that, um, that I ran around on Meredith this week, what would you think and do? See, see when, we put it, when we put it in the here and now like that, and see, like, God's like some kind of uh, 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 mystical whatever appearance. Oh, well, he's, he's gracious and like, well, he'll forget. And it's, it's, it's even worse that we would be like that with God. That we've been adulterous people, a, a, a cheating people, an uncommitted people to God. 
is what James says. That's hostility with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James says you can't have both. You you don't get both, you can't have both. No one can serve two masters is what the scripture says. Why? Because you'll love the one and you'll hate the other. Church, you can't have the world and have God too. that's, that's That's what James is telling people. Because the passions and desires inside of you it's pulling you to the world. You haven't done something with that. And it's pulling you to the world. And as a result of that, you've become an adulterous people. So to be a friend of God is to be an enemy of the world. And to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. And the thing we need to understand is this, is to be a friend of God, you're going to be an enemy of the world. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? Hey, remember they hated me first? Uh, the problem is I just don't think the world hates us enough right now. Why? Because we look too much like them. We act too much like them. We don't stand up for holiness. We don't stand up for righteousness. We don't live in a way uh, uh, that points to the holiness and righteousness of God. I mean, on Sunday, what do we do? We'll put on our best and we'll play the part for a few moments and, uh, and we'll do whatever we've got to do to try to get the benefits that God has offered only to take off and be carried away in the flow of the current of this world the moment we leave this place. Man, for so many churchgoers, it's a Sunday thing only. Man, and, and that just breaks my heart. It crushes me that, 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 this, that this would be it as it pertains to your growth and your holiness and your walking with the Lord as it just takes an hour on a Sunday morning and you're done. And I would just lovingly challenge you, man, you don't know what salvation is. You don't know what the holiness of God is. You don't know what the expectation that has been laid before. As, as she went down, look at me where she at. She wasn't here a second ago. As she went down, and that, there you are. That's the thing. You, girl, you gotta, that's, it's all. It's every bit of it. And you're saying, look, I'm dead to me and I'm alive in him. I mean, and how many, how many of us don't get that or live like that? How many? And all I've got to say is this, is that we'll never reach the world being like the world. Never do it. You, you will not do it. Your neighbor cusses like a sailor, so you cuss like a sailor. That's, that's just not going to cut it. Your neighbor reacts like this or does this and they're lost and then, and then you react and you do like that. It's never going to cut it. They will never come to you for advice about Jesus living like that and being like that. You'll never have that influence in their life being like them. He's called us to come out and be separate, be different, to, to live different. That's what we'll never be sort of like the world. And hear me, we're going to blow it and we're going to mess up. And that's, that is quite all right because God's grace covers that. And we need to feel that conviction when that conviction comes. Like if you lose it and you just, what, however you react or respond to that, okay. Let's acknowledge that. Let's let the Holy Spirit convict us. Let's run back to God and repent. Have him break our heart. And us live in a way that's going to bring him glory and honor. And oh, by the way, if we've done it to somebody else, we need to make it right. Church, church that's one of the greatest things that we have in our belt, tools we have in our belt, is when we blow it because we're going to blow it, so just breathe easy this morning. We have the great privilege and honor of making right what we've wronged. We have the great privilege of showing what that looks like and living that out. And so he goes on and he says this in verse 5. Or do you suppose it is, uh, it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in you? And so I think we just need to do a little bit of work here to make sure we understand what, what uh, uh, James is saying to the people here. See, because what we know from the scripture is that God is a jealous God. God will not share his glory with anybody. 
And he is jealous. And what does that mean? Because that kind of seems like, okay, maybe he's like a, a spoiled God kind of sitting up there on his throne and being like, all about me. And, like, well, what, is he, what does he talk about? What does he mean? Well, that God's, that's not, jealousy's not a good thing, right? No, it's not. It's not at all in our terms and in our thinking and in our reasoning and with us, but with God being a jealous, God is a great, glorious thing. And let me try to explain it to you this. His jealousy is not like ours. It's not, a, it's not over fear or insecurity or they won't. It's not about that. What it is about is this, and what he tells us in this verse is that his jealousy is for us because of the spirit that he's put in us. And so what he's saying is for those of us who are born again believers, he has put his spirit in us and he, he's jealous over that spirit for his great name to be glorified and for us to enjoy him forever. That is the desire for him, for us. That his jealousy, it comes from that, us making his name famous, glorifying him, enjoying him, being content in him. That's what he offers to us. That's what he gives. And so what is God's response to these adulterous people, to us adulterous people? What is his response to that? What is his response to us this week being rebellious and not listening and not living out what he's called us to live out and to be? What is his response? And this is one of the greatest scriptures ever penned, I believe. He says this in verse 6, but he gives more what? He gives more what, church? He gives more what? Yes, he gives more grace. You adulterous, wicked cheaters. Oh, I'm going to give you more grace. I'm going to give you more grace. I mean, how amazing is that? I mean, feel that this morning. Let that sink in. I don't know how you walked in this place. I don't know what you did last night. I don't know what this weekend looked like for you. I don't know what happened this week wherever. But, but all I know is this, is that his grace is extended yet more. His grace and his mercy is made new all over every morning. However you've acted, whatever you said, whatever you thought, when you limp into this place this week, remember that God, being fully aware of your shortcomings, does what? He gives more grace. That's what's supposed to be so amazing about the church. Why are we quarreling and fighting over ridiculous dumb stuff? Do we not know that we, we've got issues ourselves? That we've got shortcomings ourselves? That we'll jump all over that in just a moment? But God's response to that is what? More grace. More grace. Why? In the hopes of wooing and drawing all the more. In the hopes of wooing and drawing all the more. He says, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He says this, and look, this, this is good here. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So our response to that grace is this, is that we bow up and we fight. We submit to the Lord. We, we come under the lordship of Christ. We, we do what he says. We, we walk out in obedience. We let him lead us. We submit ourselves. We give up to him. And then what do we do? We resist. Resist is an action word. Who resists is an action. We fight. We don't give in. We be active. That's what we do. And do you know what happens to Satan? He has to flee. He has to go. The book of Corinthians says that he won't, won't give us over to more temptation than we can handle. God makes a way out every time. The problem is our heart. The problem is us, what James has already addressed. But we've got to submit and we've got to resist. Man, the church is weak today. Are we not? Submit, why would I do that? No, I'm an American, man. I can do whatever I want to do. God bless the U.S. There is freedom, and freedom wasn't free. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Uh, if you belong to Jesus, he is. 
or you don't belong to Jesus. The choice is yours. We submit to the Lord and we resist the devil. We fight. Man, we give in far too much to his schemes and his plans. We, we give in far too much. And then look at what else he says. This is, so this is all action for us as believers, as the church. That grace should compel us and draw us to do this, submit, resist, and then to do this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. How in the world do we draw near to God? How do we do that? How does that happen? Well, it's time in the word. We get in his word. We get in his word. You will never grow close to God in the way that he desires and wants you to if you're not spending time in his word. You'll never do it. I don't care how many little devotions you read. I don't care how many uh, little things that you go to. I don't, I mean, no, no, no. This is a personal walk with Christ. And the way to draw near to God is spend time in his word. Hear what he has to say. Let him speak to you. Let him work you out like this. I didn't, want, I didn't want to come here this morning. I wanted like butterflies and flowers and I wanted to have like, like little heart-shaped candy out there in the lobby for everybody. But he said, no, no, we're going to beat it. We're going to beat this up this morning. Because there's some things I need to say. Why? Because I want you complete. I want you maturing. I want you lacking nothing, church. And for too long, the church has lacked too much. This is for our good. This helps us. This helps us grow and mature. Helps us get over ourselves and thinking that we're more than we really are. And we're adulterous people. We cheated on God this week. We ran, we ran around behind his back thinking we run around behind his back, doing whatever we want to do, living how we want to do, and we come in here all holy, happy, and nice, and, ah, and, and, and only to walk out and cheat on him again. We've got ulterior motives. We can't wait to get our hands on that thing that makes us feel good in that moment. And what James says is that even in that, he is approaching and he is seeking and he's going to offer more grace. And he wants you to take that grace, and this is what you need. You need to draw near to him, and you do it. Time in the word, you do it. Time in prayer, you need to be praying. And praying is not just so much you telling God what you need. Praying is also listening to what God tells you you need. That's what prayer is too. So we spend time on our face before God. Another way that we draw near to God is through community. Intentional relationships, we need that. We weren't called to go at this thing alone. What was the thing lacking in the garden for Adam? A wife. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to get married. I'm just saying that we need relationship, that it's not good for what man to be what? Alone. Well, he wasn't. He had God. And I'm not saying that God's not enough because God is plenty. But what I'm saying is this, is that you need other brothers and sisters in your life that are going to love you enough to tell you the truth about you. They're going to love you enough to walk with you. They're going to love you enough to encourage you. They're going to love you enough to care for you. They're going to love you enough to press you toward You need people in your life to love you. That's what you need. You need community. And I believe it happens in a couple different ways. And we've got something that we're about to launch out here at the first of the year that we're going to be rolling out, that we're going to be making you aware of. We already kind of announced it last week. It's still in the bulletin. We'd love to get more uh, information from you if you'd be interested in this. But we've got small groups coming again. We've been through so much over the last four years and and they kind of fall into the wayside. But but that's not going to happen. Why? Because we know and we understand that if we're going to grow and mature as men and women of God, we need mature men and women in our life. That's what's so great about this men's stuff. Women getting off and going, going, and they, they meet every week, and they get in there, and they get in the Word, and they rough each other up. Do women rough each other up? I don't know if they do or not. I'm talking God talk here. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, they encourage each I don't know what they do. They talk about Jesus and to each other, and all that good stuff goes on. But we need that. Why? Because that presses us. That helps us. And so we've got that stuff coming. Just, just hang with us. It's, it's getting there. You're going to see some changes. I know, good Lord, that's a dirty word. Quarrels and fights. Here we go. There's going to be some changes. Everybody breathe easy for a second. 
get you out of you for a moment. Just hear what God has to say here. There's going to be some changes and things that's going to unwind. Why? Because we believe we're seeking the Lord and we believe we're going to do what's best for us in this place. It's going to help us mature and grow and be pressed toward. So we've got groups coming. We've got some stuff that's going to be happening. And then he goes on in verse 8 and he says, as he continues, he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll exalt you. What is James talking about here? James is talking about brokenness. That's what James is talking about here. James is telling the believers of this day, look, I've, I've, just, I've just called you out. I've exposed what's happening in your heart, in you. I mean, I mean I've, I've really went for it and, and I've told you that you're, you're cheaters and uncommitted, unfaithful to the Lord. And then what he does here is gives them the response that's needed. And it's a response of brokenness. That's what it is. It's a response of cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, you double-minded. James is telling the believers here to feel the weight of their sin in reality of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. That's what he's telling them. And we live in a day that, that wants all like gushy and mushy and feeling good. And let's keep things light and airy. And this may be a little too heavy for you this morning. Maybe it's a little too much. I think we get too much water down. I think we get far too much water down. I mean, we live in a world that tells us how great we are, knowing good and well that we're going to go home and we're not going to be great because our house is falling apart. My kids won't listen. My wife won't submit. Uh, this happens. At work, they won't even... Uh, we, we live in a world that tells us we're great, but all around us, everything that we do, we, we understand, we see that we're not great. We get far too much mushy, gushy junk. And what we need is, we need is the real word implanted in us. We need, we need messages like this for God to work us over and reveal the, the nastiness of us. And James says that the response to that should be brokenness. We need to be broken over our sin. That's what we need. We, we like to categorize sin as, as very bad to maybe, maybe not so bad, maybe almost Jesus would accept it type stuff. But James tells us that our sin should cause this type of response that we see here in verse 9. Wretched, mourn, weep, laughter turning to mourning, joy to gloom. When was the last time you viewed your sin like that? When was the last time you, you were in your prayer closet broken over the fact that, that you were gossiping or broken over the fact that you told a lie or broken over the fact that you were, you were selfish or broken over the fact that you didn't love your wife like Christ loves the church or broken over the fact that you haven't modeled for your kids what it looks like to be the example of Jesus? When was the last time you were broken over that? Man, the only time we'll get broken if it's a big deal sin, if it's a big issue type sin. And James says, no, your heart is wicked. You need to be broken over your You need to weep. You need to mourn. You're wretched. Those type of responses to our sin. And he gives grace even more. And we realize that and we understand that we have no problem taking ourselves to the foot of the cross and being broken over our sin. But when was the last time you viewed sin that way? Responded that way? We treat sin like it's a pet that we can pull out of the cage and we can play with from time to time and put it back when we need to and it really won't hurt us or bite us too much. And to that I would say we don't understand grace, we don't understand the cross, we don't understand the weight of sin. And then what James is going to do, he's going to end this little section right here and this is what he says. He says, do not speak evil against one another, one, one another, brothers. The one who speaks 
against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But, but who are you to judge your neighbor? And so what James is saying here is that those who have experienced Mercy and grace that God bestows and they understand that he'll give more grace now has the responsibility to do what? To build their brother and sister up. That's what he's saying there. Is that we as recipients of God's good grace and good mercy, we have got the, the, the privilege and honor of building people up so maybe a way to kind of ask you is this. Are you more apt to see the shortcomings in others or the strength in others? I mean, are you real quick to critique and to tear down and to point out? Or are you quick to build up and encourage and make much of? And this question isn't one about judgment and condemnation. That's not what I'm talking about here. Are you quick to just write off and be done with? Or to lift up and speak life into? That's what James is talking about here. In church, the response to the grace, he gives grace even more. Is that? Is that? I mean, can you imagine what would happen if in the faith community we we were more known for our uh, encouragement than our condemnation? Tell you one thing, there'd be a few more people here than there are this morning. I mean, if, if they would catch wind, that you, you mean they're just always pointing out what, what you're doing, and there's always encouraging, they're always caring for, they're always they don't they don't throw stones, but they lift up. Can you imagine what that would do? I mean, is the church not quick to crucify their own? Think about that for a second. Is, is the church not quick to crucify their own? What happened to Jesus? His people put him on the cross, did they not? And, and the sad part is, 2,000 years later, we're no different. I mean, we're real, real quick to look at the shortcomings and failures and faults in people. And I'm not saying that there's not a place for accountability. That's, that's by no means, I'm, I'm not saying that. But man, what would happen if we were just really, really good at encouraging each other? Man, if we were just really, really saying, if we were just really, really good at saying, man, man, the gift that you got, what God's done in your life, dude, this week, man, I just want to just take a moment and just share with you and say thank you. And we just lifted each other up and cared for one another that way. I mean, can you imagine just encouraging each other like that? So, so as the band comes, and I'm going to throw a little curveball on you guys. I'm sorry. Can we do In Christ Alone again to end? I'm, I'm sure that last song was going to be amazing. We'll do it next Sunday. But I just think with the heaviness of what God's Word has said and the Holy Spirit hopefully has pressed upon the hearts in this place this morning, that as we sing and proclaim who Christ is and what He has done, Maybe we'll feel that for a moment. Maybe for, and I don't, I don't, and maybe for this morning what will happen, there will be broken in this room like there has never been. And you don't have to cry to be broken. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not, I mean, there is all kinds of false brokenness in this world and in the church. 
But what I'm talking about is for you to see yourself like you did that day when God saved you. And to be reminded of, of the wretchedness. To be reminded of what sin is. To be reminded of how horrific it truly, truly is. And it's so easy to push off of the crosses. Yeah, that thing over there that yeah, I believed in and I'm good to go now. And to forget about the Savior who was, who, was, who was murdered for us and has endured and tasted the wrath of a holy God. It's so easy to forget that. And I know it's difficult to carry ourselves in here week in and week out, blowing it and, and not, not living up to and not being what Christ has called us to be and, and, not, and not sharing or not, not telling or not, or not oh, I know that is difficult. But man, what I want you to hear this morning is this, is he offers even more grace. I don't care how bad you blew it this week. He offers more grace and he wants your response to be, yes, Jesus, I need you. I'm sorry, I'm broken. I'm going to do everything I can in my heart and my life not to be an adulterous person here. To say one thing, yes, but only to run around and cheat on you this week. And I just need your help. I need the Holy Spirit to convict and to draw. I just need your help. So to close, is, is, there, is there too much of you in you and not enough Jesus? Because I think one of the most loving things I could say this morning to you is you need to get over your own desires. You need to get over you. You are not the star in this place. You're not the star of the show, nor will you ever be. And I, I can tell you right now, and you can ask the men that are in my life, the staff that is on staff with me here and serves with me, that we don't make decisions based on anybody in this room, but on the Lord and Savior who directs us and leads us. And as long as I'm here, we'll never make decisions based on what somebody wants or says or thinks or does. But on what the the Lord and King of Kings tells us to do. Because there's too much of you and you. Are you a friend of God or of the world? You can't have both. Because you love one, hate the other. And you'll be a crummy, crummy example of what it means to be a friend of God if you're a friend of the world. Is there sin in your life? Where do you need to confess and beg God to crush you in that sin? And what I, what I know about God is this, is that when he does that, he'll build you back up even better. So there's sin in your life that needs to be confessed. Last thing is this, who, who have you encouraged this week? I mean, who, I mean and I don't mean like, oh, just look, I mean, say, thank you, and then go on, or oh, I like your blouse, oh. and then we, I mean, like really something meaty and weighty that means something. Encourage somebody this week. May we remember that he gives more grace and walk in that grace in such a way that points people to his glory. I don't know what God pressed upon your heart, but you respond as he leads. If you uh, need Christ as your Savior, man, I would love to talk to you more about that. If he's awoken in your reality of your need for him, I'd love to share with you more about the gospel and what that means. And if you need somebody to pray with, there is a multitude of people in this room that would love to just cover you in prayer. Or if you need to come pray, if you need to repent, whatever you need to do in this moment, you do what God leads you and calls you to do. Father, help us respond in a way. God, may there be brokenness in this room this morning. And we pray. Amen. You stand there, please.